Yo, what's up, Mike? How you doing? Good, man. How are you? Um, I'm ready for this um big show, man. This is a very legendary band and a lot of a lot of fucking hits, a lot of fucking albums, and they're oh, yeah. still going to today. <laughs> well, yeah, pretty much. Uh, you know, the music is still heard. That we're talking about Paul Revere and the Raiders. Uh, yeah, we've been talking about doing this band for a while. Um, to me, they're they're one of the most kind of underrated. Uh, 60s garage bands they had a lot of hits but they're kind of lost in the shuffle with a lot but when you start listening to the albums it's just oh they're amazing. great you know some of the shit that they were doing they were like ahead of their time oh they were definitely ahead of their time like that stuff that you can bring out today and it might still be a hit because the music was you know it was great dance music it was like they were pretty much first they started as an instrumental band little bit, yeah. Uh, and then they started putting lyrics, and it was fucking crazy. Once they started putting lyrics, it's like, motherfucker, these guys are great, man. Well, you know, I mean, they started in the late 50s. Okay. Yeah, that, I was looking at that. Yeah, they, they, they were around. Um, you know, it, 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 they definitely earned their bones touring, okay? They, they worked hard in the beginning, uh, and they had a lot of hits in the, you know, between like 65 and 67, uh, they were as big as anybody, man. They were they were huge. You wanna you wanna hit something? I don't think they're in the music hall of fame. No, but they're they're in the, they are in the Oregon Music Hall of Fame. Right, because they were, and I think that's kind of forgotten sometimes. They were a Pacific Northwest based band. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and that that meant something back in the day. The the Pacific <coughs> Northwest was uh uh you know like a hotbed of like really good bands like uh. Uh, a band called the Whalers, a band called oh, yeah. Sonics, okay, uh, you know, a bunch of other bands really came out of that area. They had a mix of like rock and roll and R and B, okay. The Kingsmen came out of there too. The, the yeah, the Kingsmen, movies, yeah. You know, uh, so the Pacific Northwest is always an area that interests me when it when you talk about sixties garage music. Paul Revere was like right in the middle of that. Yep. Yeah. So, Mike, this is the Rock Show episode 67, and I think this is going to be a good show because it's a lot of history, a lot of fucking music, and, like, at the end of the day, they pull out 28 albums. <laughs> yep, yep, 28 albums and, and plenty of top 10, top 20 singles. Oh, my God, yeah. So, uh, hit me up. Where are we going to start? All right, well, you know, the band was really, like, the brainchild of a guy named Paul Revere Dick. Paul Revere okay. Dick, yep. Right. That was his real name. And he was born January 7th, 1938 in Harvard, Nebraska. He played piano. He also played organ. Yep. And his style, you know, growing up, his style was similar to Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, he would bang the, the keyboards just like the killer, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis. And uh, that's how he played. But growing up on a farm near Boise, Idaho. Boise, Idaho. Let me ask you, did he have uh, Native American blood? I don't believe so. Not that I know of. Why are you thinking that? Because of the Indian Reservation song? Yeah, because that song going to some deep shit, man. Like that well, song is really. They didn't. They didn't even write that song. We'll get into that later. Right. Um, but I don't believe there was any, you know, Native American blood going on in the band. That was a big comeback hit for them. But this is yeah early on in Boise, Idaho. Okay. Uh, Paul Revere Dick was an owner of a, bar- a barber shop. And he had a drive-in restaurant. Dude, what was- the what the fucking chances that the fucking guy started? He he was pretty successful yeah. without the music. 
Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, he ran these two businesses in Caldwell, Idaho. And yeah. one day, 1958, he runs into a, a teenager, a couple years younger than him, named Mark Lindsay. And he was actually in a store picking up hamburger buns for his <laughs> restaurant. And the two of them became fast friends. They had an interest in music. And they wanted to start a band. So yep. originally, the, the band that they started was a band called the Downbeats. Yep. Okay. But they wore Revolutionary War outfits. Okay. Like Paul Revere and the Rays will be known for. Yeah. Uh, they started doing that as the Downbeats. Um, and, and people, you know, people liked it. They liked the whole, the whole getup, you know. Uh, eventually, Paul Revere would drop the last name Dick and just use Paul Revere. And in 1960, they decided to change their name to Paul Revere and the Raiders. Uh, they released a single that year on Gardenia Records called Like Long Hair. And yeah, it was, shit. Uh, it, was, it was an instrumental. Yeah. Okay? Like you were saying, uh, they did a lot of instrumentals. They did a lot of covers in those days, as most bands did. Okay. Um, it actually, the song was popular enough to get to number 38 nationally. Yeah. And in April, that would be in April of 61. Uh, the song was an even bigger hit regionally in the Pacific Northwest. And that's where singer Mark Lindsay was originally from. OK, he was from Oregon. Yeah. And the band had kind of a revolving door of musicians in the beginning. They 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 went through a lot of people their whole career. But in the beginning, they didn't have any a real solid band. Yeah. Guys were lasting like a year or less or two years. Sometimes. But they weren't even lasting that long. Um, when did um Paul move um to uh Oregon? Because I think they winded up leaving um yeah Idaho he, and moving to Oregon, right? Yeah, I was gonna get into that now. He actually got drafted. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it was still a draft in in sixty one, and but he signed up as a conscientious objector. Okay, and instead of putting him in an actual. I mean, we weren't at war in 61, but they didn't bring him anywhere where there could be a war. Yeah. They, they, they let him work as a cook in a mental institution. Yep. All right. Now, his service at the time was considered deferred. So for a year and a half, he did that. And during that same period, Mark Lindsay kept the band going. And they because they had that top 40 single. So he kept the band going. And briefly, they brought in Leon Russell as a piano player. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. He went, I mean, he went on to bigger and better things, but he was still, well, you know, somewhat known at that time. Yeah. And he took Paul Revere's place on, on organ and piano. And, uh, Lindsay to supplement himself between gigs, he was pumping gas. In yeah. Oregon. All right. So the summer of 62 Revere was done with his military service and he relocated back to Oregon to be with Lindsay. Okay. It was at that point that they really got like a, a band together that would stick for a while. They had a drummer named Mike Smitty Smith, yep. and he would be with them for some time. Uh, they also met a DJ named Roger Hart. He's kind of an extra character, man. A Roger Hart? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was he was a popular DJ in the Portland area, I believe. And he, what he used to do was set up team dances. Yeah. And he was looking for like a regular band. That was a big thing at the time, you know? Yeah. And, and kids would all go to these dances and they'd check out these bands. And he needed kind of a, a regular 
band that would be, uh, you know, on time and, and, and could bring in a crowd. And somebody had, he had a conversation with somebody and he, they mentioned to him, why don't you try this band called Paul Revere and the Raiders? Yeah, it was a bank teller, actually. I thought, you're right. You're right. I think it was a bank teller he was talking to. And he got the, the phone number and he called up Paul Revere and they talked on the phone. He agreed to meet for lunch. And right away, uh, they hit it off, and he would sign them for a couple of uh, couple of team dances. He also became the group's manager. Yeah, he liked them enough that he wanted to, you know, help them out. So, Mike, you know he, what I find shocking? These guys only got that? one record label. They were with Columbia all the time. Yeah, they never right. That's is is that yeah. rare? That has that happened before? Because I know a lot of even not even like a, a guy like Michael. He went from label to label, but. You know, it's not common anymore. It might have been a little more common back then, but even then, you know, you, you generally would. I mean, even Elvis skipped labels. Yeah, that's what okay? I mean. So yeah, yeah. So it's not it's not that common. But you're right. Columbia would be interested in them. They weren't with them yet. Yeah. Uh, but they would record Louis Louis. Yeah. All right. And what's interesting, Hart had brought them the song. They said they would do it. And they had decided to do it in a way that they wanted to sound like as black as possible. <laughs> and their version of it's pretty, you know, it's pretty R and B. It's good. You know? So who sang and, the first version of Louis well, Louis? Nope, nobody knows, man. Because was it Louis the Kingsman or was it well, them nope. or was it some black nobody, dude? Well, Louis Louis was originally a Jamaican song. Yeah. Okay, it was almost like a reggae early, not reggae, but early kind of ska song yeah okay and it, you know it the, the lyrics are actually if you listen to the original the lyrics are pretty you can understand them. the thing with louis louis it was always a song that no one knew what the fuck anybody was saying <laughs> well, except for like a few lines okay but there are some versions of louis louis you can understand a little bit better you know who has a good version of louis louis fucking motorhead yeah okay, they got a great a version <laughs> yeah but, um, you know, Hart brought them the song and said, you know, let's do it. And they recorded it uh, for the Sanday label. OK, and that would attract the attention of Columbia. Now, at the same studio, at the same time in the same month. OK, in April, I believe it was in April. Yeah, the Kingsman. 63. OK, the Kingsman went into that studio and recorded Louie Louie also. So nobody knows exactly what day. It was recorded and who did it first, but they did record it in the same month in the same studio. All right. Now, the band lineup at that time was Revere on organ, mm -hmm. Mark Lindsay singing, Mike Smith, Smitty Smith on drums, and a guy named Mike Doc Holliday yeah. on bass, and a guitarist named Drake Levin. Now, the Raiders toured heavily through 1964. Uh, they were becoming very influenced by the British bands like the Beatles, the Stones, the Kinks. All those bands kind of were riding the American charts at that time. Uh, they wanted to be like them. Yep. Okay. They, 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 they were enjoying what the British bands were, were doing. Remember, the British bands were taking American R&B and kind of spitting it back at us. And it's funny. Okay. Who was trying to start that also? Uh, T-Rex, when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. When we talked about T Rex last week, it it, it definitely. I mean, it, it definitely they were doing that. Uh, that was maybe ten years later, but yeah, okay. But I mean, you know, um, he was already like you were telling me, he was innovating. He was ahead of his time too. The guy, uh, Mark Bolin, absolutely was, absolutely was. Now in early '65, 
um, they became acquainted with producer Terry Melcher. Melcher would eventually be involved with producing the birds, like Turn, 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 yeah. and stuff like that. Okay, uh, but he brought the Raiders down to Southern California, and you know he also was was very influenced by what the Stones were doing, the Beatles, uh, the Dave Clark Five, even the Animals yeah. were, were a band that was very influential. And they wanted to capture that kind of sound while adding some American R&B to it. So they started working on some songs. And their first major hit that they released was a single called Just Like Me. Fucking great song. <laughs> great fucking song. Total. I mean, to me, that just, you know, kicked off the whole 60s garage rock yeah. with that song, you know. Can I tell um, you a funny story? One of the most picked album in international is the Paul Revere album. Yeah. I know I've noticed that. Uh, I've sat there many times listening to Paul Revere, yeah. but a lot of people do play. Yep. It. Yeah, it's true. That is true. They got that one. Uh, I think it's the greatest hits yep. in there, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, like I said, just like me would be a big hit. Now, if you listen to that song, it's a very distinctive guitar sound. It's like a double track sound that Drake Levin made. Yeah. And it's very distinctive. There's very few songs that have that kind of sound. But the band was making regular appearances on TV. Why do they call that double track guitar solo? What do they mean by that? You take, okay, let's say uh, you're in a, you're recording. Now, record, you know, when you record, things are done on tracks. You might have a drum track. Yeah. You might have a guitar track. Uh, what you do is you take a guitar track, you play it the way you want to play it. Yeah. And then you record another guitar track. And you put it over it. Oh, shit. All right. All right. So it's kind of like you're playing both parts, but they're at the same time, which you couldn't do physically, right? Yeah, that's insane. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah that, no, and, and and in those days, in the in the mid-60s, early 60s, this was all new. Yeah. This kind of, like, this kind of thing was like tricks that these producers came up with on their own. Now, some stuff was known from you know, the fifties and earlier with like big band music, there was ways to make a bigger sound. They knew about overdubbing and all that, but with, you know, rock and roll was only maybe 10 years old at that point. And it was, you know, when you started getting into making things a little bit more produced, it was all new to them. Okay. So when you, when you're doing these overdubs, it was a very distinctive sound for the time. Even now, when you hear it, when I first hear the first couple of chords, it's just like me. You know what? You know what the song. Oh yeah, right you know? away. Yeah. Now, what the band was doing at, at that time that also helped promote them is they were making regular appearances on television shows like um, Where the Action Is, which was a Dick Clark show. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there was a show called It's Happening. And they actually co-hosted that, uh, Mark Lindsay and Paul Revere. And so they would play on the show and they would host the show as well. Um, how, about, they even, how about the appearance in Batman? <laughs> I was just going to say, the, the, there was an appearance in November 66 where they played themselves on an episode of Batman called His Honor the Penguin. And I do remember that. I remember that I, too. <laughs> I, I remember them in their Revolutionary War outfits, you know. Um, is that what Batman did, like the bat dance? The Batusi? The Batusi or whatever? Uh, no, I don't think that was the one, but but that's another famous one that's classic. You know? <laughs> I love that one. Uh, now, bass player Doc Holliday was replaced by a guy named Phil Volk in late 65. Okay. Um, Volk had an endorsement 
okay, with the Vox Amplifier Company. Yeah, what was the uh, deal with that? I was reading that. Yeah, I never even knew that. that Vox, Vox amps are some of the best amps you can get, okay, even today, all right? There's a, a lot of bands in the 60s were using Vox because they had, like, um, uh, they also made, like, the, the fuzzy wah-wah pedal. They made, like, a lot of stuff that was, like, very distinctive to 60s music at the time. Um, they gave them an endorsement, and the bass player Volk was using something called a Vox Phantom 4 bass amp. Yeah, did they give him that stuff for free? Did they get the instrument yeah. just because they were... So no, that's big. Not the, not, the, not the instrument, the amp. The amps, okay. Yeah, that's what I mean. Did yeah. they give him the amp for free? Because that's, like, huge. That's yes. a huge saving. Yeah, I mean, you know, right. And that that's that helped them, okay? They didn't have to spend money on amps. Amps are expensive. Yeah. So Revere himself also used what was called a Vox Continental Combo Organ, okay? Yeah. So in that sense, I believe he might have had the actual instrument, okay? Because an organ is a little different. I don't think you really plug it in, but I'm not sure. I think you don't, you don't plug it into an amp, but I'm not positive. Um, also, what they were known for is they were the first band reported to be that would plug in. And the whole band was actually amped Yeah, up. and a okay. Von, like, Super Beetle amplifier. <laughs> yeah, right. The Vox Super Beetle amp. The whole band was, was, was hooked up to it. And what they used to do, too, is they would have, like, because uh, some of their songs had horns in yeah. it. Okay, so they would have, like, maybe three guys okay. playing horns, and they would be amped up, which was unheard of at the time. You know how much, how, how that sounded? That was, like, you... Was... Had to be fucking loud. Had to be fucking loud. You think Motorhead got that thing from them? <laughs> make as loud <laughs> as possible, remember? Well, Motorhead, Motorhead was influenced by a lot of people. But, yeah, I mean, Paul Revere, I'm sure he was, you know, Lemmy was listening to that stuff, because he was doing garage rock at the time. Yeah, he was. And, and stuff like that. So I'm sure he was checking that out. Uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders, if you think about it, I, I mean, they had to be loud. Yeah, definitely. So, and, and not too many bands. That was the beginning of days when people were amped up. You know, when you watch uh, old clips of the Beatles, you know, they're playing like little tiny amps. No wonder nobody could hear them yeah. screaming over girls screaming over them and all that. Um, now, what would happen is uh, they would start having some lineup changes. Uh, Drake Levin would leave in 66. Yeah, he joined the National Guard. Yeah, he joined the National Guard. A lot of people did that in 66. They didn't want to go to Vietnam. Okay, so if you join the Guard, you might not go. Wow. Okay, it was one way of getting out of it. Uh, He was replaced by a guy named Jim Valley, who was another like Pacific Northwest musician that they knew from earlier days. Um. He had a he had a nickname. They used to call him Harpo because he looked kind of like Harpo Marx. <laughs> right? now, now, during the period of sixty six to sixty seven, they had several top twenty hits. You know, the first being uh, "Kicks," which made it to number That's four. That's a fantastic song. That song got a lot of into windows too. Oh yeah, well, it's an anti drug song technically. Yeah, listen to it. Uh, there was a song called "Hungry" yeah. that got to number six. Uh, those two songs, Kicks and Hungry, are just quintessential Raiders songs. Yeah. Uh, they had a song called The Great Airplane Strike yeah. that would get to number 20. A song called Good Thing you know, that would get to number You know, four. Good Thing was in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes, yes. He used several yeah. songs in that It movie. was great. Right. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. And then there was a song called Him or Me, What's It Gonna Be? Great song. Uh, that that's a, went to number five. That's a great tune. Uh, albums around this time, there was an album called Just Like Us in 66. And it had songs like Stepping Out, Just Like Me. They did a version of The Stone Satisfaction. Uh, a song called Out of Sight, which which was fantastic. Uh, 66, they also released Midnight Ride, which is probably my favorite album from them. Um, an album called Spirit of 67, uh, an album called Revolution that also came out in 67. Uh, albums were going gold at that time, and they were actually Columbia Records' number one rock band at that point. Wow. Okay. Uh, and that's, that's saying a lot. And that definitely goes into what you were saying about why they were on that label for so long. It made them a lot of money. You know, in, in early 67, at the height, of their popularity valley volk and smith would leave the band now they left because their songs that they came to to revere and Lindsay were not they weren't interested in them they they, they wanted to have some writing involved some credits and, you know credits and stuff and they weren't getting it they also felt that the changing rock scene that they were kind of too like teeny bopper okay I don't know if they wanted to ditch the outfits, you know, maybe they did, but they felt that, you know, being on these like teeny bopper shows and stuff, when you had this kind of emerging serious rock and roll scene with bands, you know, uh, things like Hendrix and stuff like that were coming up. Uh, you know, they were, they, they felt maybe they weren't taking that seriously. So what would happen is Drake Levin would rejoin them briefly for a spring tour. And, Levin, Volk, and Smith flew to New York because they had a gig on the Ed Sullivan show okay. planned. And the story goes is that Revere was upset about Jim Valley and Volk and Smith getting ready to leave. And he kind of blamed Drake Levin. All right. Now, Levin showed up to play, and Revere said, No, you're not playing. And this is like, you know, right before the Ed Sullivan wow. show. The first, the first and only time they were ever on it. And he refused him to play. He's not, you're not playing tonight. Uh, I got this new guy named Freddie Weller. And Levin handled it well. He, he, he held no grudges about it. And he actually gave Weller some points on playing chords and stuff like that. And he actually watched it from the side of the stage. Okay. And uh, that was their only appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show, April 30th, 1967. The following month, Volk and Smith would leave. Okay, and they teamed up with Levin and actually started a band called Brotherhood. Now, you got to wonder, was Revere right in being upset? Because it seems like he 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 snatched them up yeah. right to start his own. band. That's what it seems like. Um, but there might be more to it. Now, there was a bass player they knew they knew named Charlie Cope. He was brought into play. And then a drummer named Joe Carrero was was brought in to do the drumming. Um the changing music in 68 kind of found their popularity waning. They were like a little bit out of fashion. Now, 68, you know, music was getting psychedelic. Uh, the Beatles had already put out Sgt. Pepper. Now we're into 68, the White Album. You know, so many things were changing. Paul Revere and the Raiders were looking a little old hat, yeah. you know. So they still had some hits. There was some singles, Ups and Downs. I had a dream, too much talk, don't take it so hard, 
a song called Cinderella Sunshine, Mr. Sun and Mr. Moon, and Let Yeah, these were all, right? all like, this would go album also. Yeah, yeah, that would be a gold album, the one with yeah. Let Me on it. Um, in January of 68, Revere and Lindsay returned to TV on a new Dick Clark show called Happening 68. Um, later, it would just be shortened to Happening. But Co would leave the band in August of that year to go get married. And former Where the Action Is heartthrob, a guy named Keith Allison, was brought in on bass. Now, he was a guy that was on Where the Action Is as one of these like teen, you know, teen idol type things. So he was brought in to play bass. All right. Uh, Mark Lindsay kind of at this point was, was gaining control of the band. He started producing a lot of the records for them. Uh, there was a single called too much talk that they put out in 68. Um, a new album called something happening. Uh, it was kind of a psychedelic, album uh definitely had like a lot of psychedelic yeah. elements to it an album called hard and heavy with marshmallows yeah. uh there was another one called alias pink pugs <laughs> what name right? for album this is, yeah yeah now it's very interesting because the band was was waning in popularity that people weren't listening to them as much anymore they weren't selling as much and when they came out with the pink puzz album they tried like a little trick they tried to released the band i'm sorry released the album under the name pink puzz okay like they weren't yeah reveal like let's use a different name and see what happens but it didn't work everybody knew it, it was, was a failure it it, yeah it did, did not work but they did a lot of touring in the summer of 69 uh they ended up going to europe with the that beach sounds boys. weird like polar bear and the beach ball i think that's a weird lineup just no, nah, you know what? They actually, uh, I think it's on the, is it the Just Like Us album or Midnight Ride? I forget. It's one of the two. There's a song that they that's a typical Beach Boys sounding song called SS369. Okay. <laughs> by, by yeah. And when you hear it, when you hear it, it sounds like a fucking Beach Boys song, like like little GTO or something, you know. But uh, what? Yeah, that thing, didn't that they song wind up in a commercial or something? It might have. They did. They did do a couple of commercials with their songs at that time. It, it, now, when they were on tour with the Beach Boys, they recorded two songs for the German music show Beat Club. Okay, uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders would then, by 1970, they did decide to do an official name change, and they just went down to the Raiders. Yep. Okay, they were Paul Revere and the Raiders, just the Raiders. They would come out with an album called Collage. And I actually like this album. I listened to it today. I hadn't heard it in like quite a few years. It's a, it's a heavy, I don't know. I, there's something about it I like. It's a heavier album. It's not as garagey sounding. It's almost like, you know, almost like a, it's a couple of songs on there you think would be almost like, like Leslie West yeah. Mountain. You know, something like heavier stuff like that. That might not be the best example, but I'm thinking it's just a heavier sound than they ever had. But that song was like uh, also was, another commercial failure, right? For some reason, that yeah, album it, it only it only got to 154 wow. in the top 200. But there was a song on there you should check out called "The Boys in the Band." I think it's the first song on the album. Very cool tune. Um, Lindsay, you know, because of the 
collage not doing well. Lindsay was becoming like more interested in doing solo stuff. All right. Now, Joe Carrero would leave the band and he would be replaced by returning drummer Mike. It's amazing how that group, they had so many band players, but they had a lot of people that would go and then come back. Well, you know, I, I think to me, playing in that band, you know, it had to have a lot of pluses to it because you had, I don't know, it just seems like only certain people could play in that band, you know, so they had a lot of returning members, like you say. They probably always had gigs lined up, okay, because even when they weren't selling, they were touring. You know, um, and I think as a musician, especially in those days, you wanted the tour, you know, so they were constantly doing that. In 71, uh, Mark Lindsay was working on a solo recording and I think he he got approached by, I guess, Paul Revere and a couple other people. And they decided to do a recording of John D. Loudermilk's Indian Reservation. And what a hit that was. Holy shit. That was a huge hit. Okay. Now, they released it. Paul Revere went out himself and promoted this song heavily. Okay. Um, as a new song, it was, you know, a song about Cherokee people. But Cherokee let me Nation. ask you, Mark. Everybody Mark knows Lindsay originally was going to do that as a solo album, right? It's a solo recording? I think what happened... I don't know if it was going to be a solo for him or the band approached him while he was doing some solo okay. recording. Okay. So it was kind of like around the same time. Um, it was always a Paul Revere and the Raiders yeah. song. It was never Mark Lindsay, but um, it actually went to number one for one week in July. of That's 71. huge. And yeah. And it was Columbia's biggest selling single of the 1970s. Wow. It sold it sold six million. For copies. almost a decade, was number one. Think about that. How many songs in the seventies, and how many artists they must have had on Columbia, and that you know that was their biggest single of the seventies. But that huge. song is such a um, catchy song, and the beat. Dun, 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 you know, dun, dun. I, 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 I'll be honest with you, man. <laughs> I don't I hate that song. <laughs> Well, are you an Indian fucking racist, man? Nah, nah, I'm thinking Native American. Okay. It's, just, it's, it's not, you know what? I, hate is a strong word. I don't hate it. I just like, I get mad because when I hear it and then I think about the other 25,000 songs they have before that. Oh, yeah, better, of course. You know, and it's like, why? You know, it's like, what happened to some of these other songs? You know, that this one had to be. But you know what the hit. problem was, was when that song came out, it was a definitely it was like almost like a kind of catchy dance kind of disco kind of weird. It was, it was a, a good, song. it was a great it was, it comeback was a com- song. Yeah, it was a comeback song for them, and they and they deserved it. It's a good song. It's a you know I always kind of like in my mind you know when I think of like seventies one hit wonders, I always yeah. think of that, but it. It wasn't really yeah. a one-hit wonder because it's Paul Revere and the Raiders, but it's just kind of like in the seventies they didn't really make much of a splash, and that was like they really. Only it's almost hit. like I like to uh, sit on uh, cheap tricks every so often. I like to give a little cheap <laughs> shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, riding on the single, they would come out with an album of the same name, Indian Reservation, and it actually got to number nineteen, even though most of the album was covers. Okay, it's still, but they always did pretty good with covers, you know. Like, they were one of the few brands that you would love to see them cover a song because you're like, wow, no, they, yeah, um, they do a great version of the Stone Satisfaction. Um, oh man, so many songs that song New Orleans is good. Uh, a lot, there's there's like three or four covers on the Just Like Us album 
that are fantastic. Um, in 72, the Raiders released an album called Country Wine that bombed. And then they prepared a new album called Love Music, which also bombed. So at this point, uh, Columbia kind of shelved them, all right, and wasn't putting out any material. But the band started, they continued touring. They played like state fairs. They played lounge clubs. And they kind of were booked almost as an oldies act, which Paul Revere himself didn't really mind it, okay? But Mark Lindsay was like, nah, this this ain't happening. They were playing, you know, playing in front of like a hundred. But you people, know what, Paul? You know? I can see Paul Revere like that. Cause think about it. They started doing like uh, teen shows, teen dance. Uh, I guess they're going back to the roots almost. And Paul Revere was about four or five years older yeah. than Mark Lindsay. So he might have been in a mindset like, I want to slow down a little bit. So maybe, you know, doing state fairs and stuff like that, it was, it might have been easier than actually, you know, going out on a tour bus and doing, you know, gig after gig after gig. Um, but, you know, Mark Lindsay wouldn't like it. By 75 now, this went on for yeah, a couple he was of out. years. Yeah, he, he would leave the band. And it was after a gig at an amusement park. Okay, they played a gig at Knott's Berry Farms in in Buena Park, California. It's an amusement park. All right, uh, he would go on to do some film scoring, uh, commercials, and he also became the head of A and R Artists and Repertoire at the United Artists Records in late in the late seventies. So he was signing bands. But United you can Law. tell he always wanted to kind of do that because he started producing, doing stuff yeah. like that. So you can see the yeah. guys like, you know what? I I, I want to do something different. He he was getting more into the behind the scenes yeah. kind of stuff, you know. Now Paul Revere would continue on with the Raiders um, through the seventies. In July fourth, on the bicentennial of nineteen seventy six, he got married on stage wow. at a live show. Okay, now he would also contemplate retiring that year, but it wouldn't last and he would get a new version of the Raiders together at the end of 76. Now they would continue touring by the late seventies and early eighties. There were punk rock and new wave bands that were acknowledging the, the Raiders and they would cover uh, songs by them, like the sex pistols, minor threat, circle jerks, Joan wow. Jet. Okay. They all covered Raiders songs. Sex pistols did a great cover of I'm not your Oh yeah. I remember that. Okay. Yeah, now that that was always one of my favorites. The Monkees is actually the more popular version. Yeah, I love of America, that Monkey version. But it, yeah, they're both good. But the 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 Raiders one is really good. That's hey, so, original. Mike, can you talk um, me about this quick reunion they had on the Dick Dick uh, Dick Clark show? Yeah, I think it was a uh, like a twentieth anniversary or twenty fifth anniversary of okay. them. Okay, in the late seventies and uh, like. Yeah, I think it was like 78, so it might have been like their 20th anniversary together. And, uh, you know, Dick Clark had like a reunion of like 60s bands, and they got back together briefly. Uh, they did, I think, two songs on that okay, TV show. Okay, good. All right. Yeah, it was very cool. Um, but, you know, again, they were kind of an oldies act at that point. All right. Um, what was happening in the late 70s, also in early 80s, by the early 80s pretty much, is there was this revival of kind of like 60s garage music. You had bands like the Fuzz Tones. You had bands like the Chesterfield Kings. They would all cover uh, Paul Revere songs. Uh, the Chesterfield Kings would actually release a single 
I believe in the early nineties with Mark Lindsay singing, they would do a cover of where the action is. Okay. Which is great. I actually have that single. Um, through the eighties and nineties, they toured consistently, but they were kind of on the old East circuit by September of 1997. Mark Lindsay, guitarist, Drake Levin, bassist, Phil Volk and Smitty Smith on drums reunited without Paul Revere to do a 30 year, reunion gig in portland okay that was a that was a big deal but paul revere himself was not part of it and i couldn't find a reason why i I have no idea why he wasn't um by 2000 there was a company called sundazed records which had been around for a couple of years they were uh they're a very cool label sundazed records they they re-release a lot of older stuff and put it out kind of like ron yeah like they put it out with like all the original artwork and stuff like that. But they were also putting out compilations and they made a two CD retrospective called Mojo, Mojo Workout. Workout. Right. And it, you know, it sold very well, uh, which was basically dealing with their early stuff. It didn't get into like Indian reservation and all that. Um, in 2001, they would release a new album and it was, some new songs and it was a re-recording of older tracks. It was called ride the wall and all the proceeds went to Vietnam war veteran charities. Uh, around that time, they would also start playing gigs called uh, the rolling thunder Memorial yeah. day show in Washington that they do every year. That's for like POWs yep. and MIAs. Yeah. Um, and again, though, you know, they were different singers. Mark Lindsay was, was not part of this, um, but Paul Revere himself would be out there with different different lineups every time. And and you know, he he was it was popular enough to keep going, you know, and that's what he enjoyed. Um by October 4th, 2014 though, uh there was bad news and he he had passed away from cancer. Yep, Paul Revere. Uh he passed away at uh his Garden Valley, Idaho home. Uh by the next few days there was a gig in the LA forum, Tom Petty was playing and he did a little tribute to him. He actually played. I actually seen, seen that. I got, I seen, I seen, I seen like him singing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Is that a clip? I think you can see on YouTube. uh, You can see, but I I have heard that version of uh, Tom Perry. I'm your, I'm not your stepping stone. It's pretty fucking good. Wow. Wow. And, you know, Paul Revere's music uh, is still heard today, uh, like we mentioned earlier in the Quentin Tarantino movie last year. Yeah, there was like three songs there, man. Yeah, they used Good Thing, which is a great song, Hungry, and Mr. Sun and Mr. Moon. Yeah, um, so, you know, the the one band also that was very influenced by Paul Revere and the Raiders was the Cramps. I can see that, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kicks and Hungry were songs that they would do live early on in their in their career. Um, that's all I got for you today. Mr. That's Rossi. dude. Let me tell you, that's a lot of history. A lot of you know that that band was huge, man. Like back in the days, right. and um, you know what? It still yeah. got like a weird form of the band to today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I without Paul Revere, it's not I the original. It's like it's totally different people, but yeah. they still carry in the you know the Raiders kind of tunes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, anybody listening to to 60s music that owes something to that band, um, you know, they they were just catchy 
pop songs with great guitar sound. Uh, it was kind of heavy in some ways. Uh, I, I just think they're a great band that kind of gets overlooked. They're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which I mean, I don't give two fucks, but somebody should nominate them. I don't know if they've ever been nominated and shot down. But uh, somebody should nominate them. They sold. Them yeah, they definitely. Sure. So and I think I think they should be one of the bands that definitely go into that um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and they deserve to be in there. I think so. I think so. So, what what else we got coming up? I think June. Uh, we got a bunch got of shit June coming, coming in June. This is the last episode in May, and then in June we have a fucking hell of a lineup for everybody. Listen to the Rock Show. We got the making of Appetite for Destruction, Guns N' Roses. We might have a guest for that. Um, yeah. We have Mel, Mel Haggard also. Well, country music, music we're bringing um, in Mel Haggard. You know, um, we also got Gigi Allen, the White Stripe, yeah. and, uh, real, and real. the Shit the Bucket uh, Cheap Tricks. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Shit the Bucket. Speaking of shit, there might be some shit at the Gigi Allen show we do. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, 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 we're back in video. Yeah, hopefully, but as okay, as yeah. I, right now we're still you know. doing our thing. You know, the way everybody's um everybody's doing it. Uh, me and John been doing a show a week ever since this thing happened. So the freak show, the rock show, right? Uh, and the conspiracy show. We got a special conspiracy show coming this week. We're gonna talk about a lot of shit, and it's gonna be from uh oh, yeah. the 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 five G to um. Many different of the the uh, conspiracy um, things that are going on. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, we're going to be talking about it a lot. We're going to get back on yep. that conspiracy. So, um, Mike, thank you for everything, and remember, don't get drunk, get lumped don't get up. Drunk. See you next get week. Lumped up.